Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Movie, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast at filmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian Jerome. With me today, we have Rob and Barr. Hey, y'all. We also have Bill Graham. Yes, we do. <laughs> Thank you for affirming that. I said that. shalom. Uh, yeah, you could do that if you wanted to. Shalom. <laughs> All right, uh, and we are here today uh, with a very special guest to help us talk about Shiva Baby. It's Jude Dry. Hey, everyone. I can Hello. say hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It is so good to have you here. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. I'm, my name is Jude Dry. I'm associate editor at IndieWire. I review film and TV from a queer and feminist and sexuality lens um, across all all media types for, for IndieWire. And awesome. thank you so much for having me. We are very glad to have you here to talk once again about Shiva Baby, uh, this new film uh, by writer-director Emma. I did not I did not even attempt to think about looking at this name before I attempted it. Emma Seligman? I think it might be Seligman, but Seligman. I'm not sure. All right. I'm willing to tell, you know, Robin, any thoughts, Bill? I've heard Seligman, I've heard Seligman, and I've heard... Seligman, so I'm not really sure. Good times. No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Bill's just like not even gonna go there. A name you won't want to forget if no matter how you pronounce it. Correct. Um, yeah, so we're here today uh, to do that, and we will get into that soon. Uh, before we do, the usual nonsense up front. You can follow us on Twitter at Film State Show, Facebook The Film State Show, emails podcastfilmstage.com, and of course, you give us a comment and rating on iTunes if you feel so inclined uh we also can be supported at patreon.com slash the film stage show for as little as one dollar an episode you get access to our super cool slack channel as well as first crack at all of our raffles which are movie related through the film stage so make sure to do that uh go to again patreon.com slash film stage show but we of course are brought to you today by movie the curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe every day movie premieres a new film it's timeless classic a cult favorite or an acclaimed masterpiece, it's guaranteed to be either a movie you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of. And there's always something new to discover. With movie, each and every film is hand-selected, so you'll never have to spend more time looking for something great to watch. Instead, you'll actually be watching something great. It's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. And they've got some good stuff coming to the platform. They have those that, at a distance, resemble another. An opening quote. From Kiristami's certified copy establishes the conceptual agenda for this tactile study in conservation and replication. Jessica Sarah Rinland employs toxicity, formal schemes for her most ambitious project to date, an evocatively reflexive ode to the hands-on artistic process. Um, and this is part of their hands-on two films by Jessica Sarah Rinland series. So check it out. They've got another one up there. And they've also got portraits of china ranging from an immersive documentary to portraiture and stylish fiction mystery these three films in this series look at modern china as it changes through rapid globalization and urbanization in their own distinctive way 
So there's a bunch of great stuff on there. And again, you can get a free 30-day trial by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. So that's all the front matter. And uh, we can now talk about other stuff. Uh, before we begin our review of Shoe Baby, how's everyone doing? What's going on? Everyone doing good? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I passed my road test this week and I got braces, so I'm a cool guy. <laughs> oh, wow. Did you get the Invisalign or the old school? No, I have to have old school because of my severe dental issues <laughs> and my severe orthodontic oh. issues. Can't be a 32-year-old woman with Invisalign. That would be too much to ask. But it's not like the old school type where you have to have the the metal kind of brackets or the rubber bands. Um, it's it's actually very clear. Like You almost can't really notice them, at least over Zoom. So I'm oh. lucky. Well, that's good. Well, your yeah. enunciation sounds great. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you still can't eat caramel, though, right? No, but I don't. I don't do caramels or toffees or anything like that. Oh. It's uh, the bread, like biting into a sandwich. Impossible. Very distressing. <laughs> so what, do you just have to cut with a fork and a knife? Yep. Had an Italian meat sandwich today that I cut with a fork and a knife like an idiot. Like a, like a psychopath, honestly. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. All right. Well, that's awesome. Um, I'm super excited because I get my first shot of the Pfizer vaccine tomorrow. Pfizer, okay. baby. Yeah. Go Pfizer. I, it is crazy that, like, even this is becoming a thing that we're, like, tribalizing about. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's, like, one has a track record of not having a lot of, like, flare-ups and things like that and one it definitely has a track record of doing that and so it's i don't know it's it's just funny that now it's like oh get the pfizer or the moderna you know it's like it's right like, it's, it's the apple get? or android and then that one person oh. trundles in and is like oh i've got the I got windows, a windows phone, phone. <laughs> yeah j and j yeah Oh man. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I, I uh tortured myself this weekend by buying a car, which is uh Ooh. never a, oh, never. a fun or easy process. Never uh, buy a car. I actually I actually tricked myself into thinking that it was gonna be a fun and easy process by uh utilizing Carvana, which is like this online uh thing that you can do to buy a car. Did you get to and go to the vending did- machine? Yeah, so that's that's the thing. Um, so I signed up and I was looking for a particular vehicle and I found it and I was like, okay, uh, all the numbers look good. And I got my trade-in value and I was like, okay, everything's looking real good. I was like, I think I'm about to buy a car online. I was like, what the fuck is this? And so I went ahead, went through all the paperwork, did everything. And I did some more research after and found out that the particular vehicle I was looking for has two different, uh, like packages on it. And the one that I wanted, the one that all the reviews like talk about and everything like that was the one that I didn't choose. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I was like, damn it. Okay. And so my fiance was like, are you seriously going to buy a car without test driving it? And I was like, yeah, like, I think I know what I want. Like, I'm ready. And she was just like, Ugh. and so I found one online and I was like, okay, I'll just go test drive it. Let me, let me double check. Right. And yep. I sat in a dealership for five hours and oh that's, 
that's that's what happened with me. So, yeah. <laughs> that sounds abysmal, and I'm sorry you had to go through that. <laughs> yeah, if uh, if Carvana had worked out, I would have been really fucking stoked because it was so easy and so just pain free. And I was like, I just bought a car in like 30 minutes. Like, what what the fuck? But uh, yeah, no. It, otherwise, it would have worked out just fine. I'm if sure. it had only been, if it had been what you wanted, it would have been great. But it wasn't. Yeah. So it really yeah. wasn't great. Anyway, yeah. um, so that's awesome. This is great. Everyone's living their lives. Things are returning to normal slowly. Um, and we're here to talk about Shiva Baby. Um, again, this is a new film that is out now, and it's by Emma Seligman. I'm just going to commit to that. I'm just going to hang with that sure. one. Um, I will say that uh, this this movie, uh, we were having discussion before we started rolling. We are uncertain what counts as a spoiler. So as amorphous as our spoiler section warning usually is, it's going to be even more so this time. Um, but I will read the log line from IMDb because that's usually a pretty safe place to begin. And then we'll roll from there. So at a Jewish funeral service with her parents, a college student runs into her sugar daddy. So far, so good. Here is part of the trailer for Shiva Baby. I think it's really great to like support females, particularly um, female entrepreneurs. Cool. In the future. <laughs> great. Yeah. Awesome. Danielle! Danielle! Please don't yell. Moira's here and her daughter Stephanie. Jessica. Whatever. You should really talk to her, you know? No. It's just a job. Darling. Hi, Hi, Mom. So sorry for your loss. No funny business with Maya. Thank you. You think everyone that's by is experimenting? You have zero gaydar. Excuse me, kid. I lived through New York in the 80s. My gaydar is strong as a bull. All right. So that is part of the trailer for Shiva Baby. We're here to talk about now. We begin as always with our guests. Drew Drive, what did you think of Shiva Baby? Um, so I reviewed this film back uh, when it premiered at South by Southwest, I think it was. Um, I really liked it. I The premise got me, um, you know, excited about it. And then it, it, it was, um, it wasn't quite what I was expecting, but I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, it, it, it was something else, but it was, you know, I really thought it was very funny and um, very impressed with its kind of indie indie sensibility. The the single location, the the close ups, the way you know. I think the score is really a huge asset to it. And you know, just knowing that this is this a twenty four year old filmmaker straight out of Tish, basically. Um, and sh- it struck me that she really kind of worked within the limits of a low budget micro budget thing. And for her first film really kind of knocked it out of the park um, in that sense, just the close-ups, the blocking, the staging. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of uh, becomes about, it's not, it, it becomes about something else than sugar babying, right? It's kind of more about this woman's, this young girl's um, messy kind of, early post-college pre-quarter life crisis <laughs> um kind of the classic you know for better or worse lena dunham um sort of existential millennial on we or young millennial on we that um but through this kind of very darkly jewish lens and and feminist as well uh um i really liked it uh because of that and um I thought the acting was great too. I really loved uh, Polly Draper and Fred Melamed too, as her parents. So I have to shout out their performances. So um, yeah, I think I yeah B 
plus for me, B plus, A minus. I think I gave it my review. All right. Bill Graham. So I, uh, I think this film, to me at least, is funnier. Uh, thinking back on some of the hijinks that kind of ensue, um, and this is definitely one of those films that you know you you've heard things of that nature where you know uh, some people have an aversion to let's say the American version of The Office. I don't have any any experience with the British version, so I can't speak to that. But uh, a lot of people will say that, you know, especially the early seasons where Michael's just a real, real asshole. Um, People watch it through like their eyes or uh, through their hands, right? Mm. Where they're just like, oh no, like why is he doing this? Why is he? And there's definitely a lot of moments in this film that you just, you just want to run away from. Um, I enjoyed a lot of the the setup and the execution of this, like like Jude was saying, was really interesting. That that you know this filmmaker is working within those parameters very easily, and uh, it, it doesn't feel like it's straining against it unless you kind of know enough about you know indie film production and how, how much a single set kind of helps you know benefit the the smaller budget and everything like that. Um, it becomes kind of obvious once once that uh, veil is kind of taken up. But uh, for the most part, I didn't feel like it strained against those those confines at all. Um, I really enjoyed the performances um, and the music, especially. Uh, you know, the music is is kind of this uh, very horror aesthetic kind of music. It's a lot of strings, single single plucking strings. I don't I don't even know how to <laughs> describe it really. Uh, but no, I ultimately though I think I am going to look forward to this discussion more than I actually enjoyed the film, just because it just it put me on edge. And honestly, like that's not really something that happens to me a lot in in movies. But this one really really sunk its teeth into me in that way. Um, so I don't know if enjoyed it is necessarily the right word for this um but i was definitely intrigued by this filmmaker and uh and the story that that they were trying to tell robin bar yeah i think i'm i'm with uh both you bill and jude i I, it was definitely a solid film for me um also kind of like a like a b plus or a three out of four um i did enjoy it during during the experience probably a movie that I maybe appreciate its comedy more on an intellectual level than I did uh, in the moment with it. Like maybe I should have seen it uh, if I could have seen it with an audience um, that would have been a a different kind of experience. You experience that communitas with other people and you laugh more and um, you know, you have that, that, that you experience the levity in a different way. And of course I was watching it at home with my husband and it was actually a much more stressful viewing experience than I thought it would be. Um, and not in a bad way. I, I kind of think of it akin to like uncut gems when I was watching that and like mm. sweating <laughs> while watching it because this movie um, is is like a, a panic attack on video or on digital. <laughs> it's like with the score that you describe, Bill, that um, that plucking horror soundtrack that's so common right now, um, on top of I think the way the the filmmaker um, 
is able to block those scenes like you're you're mentioning jude uh where you're you're seeing the uh the main character and i forget her name for a moment Danielle. You see, thank you danielle where you see her like having a panic attack after panic attack like i started sweating <laughs> getting very anxious during it even though there's like obviously moments of of comedy and you're supposed to be laughing um so that was that was a surprising experience for me um i also i thought i love polly draper uh i've been re-watching 30 something or watching it for the first time actually and she plays my absolute favorite character on that show which is ellen the sort of like single 80s working woman and she's wonderful on that so so excited to see her here and she's actually not jewish and i was very surprised to learn that because she plays a jewish mom um in a in a in a classic sort of way but not not like overbearing judith light on transparent where it's just like an obvious mask or something like she she brings a lot of authenticity to to this role so i really liked that um it is interesting to i think you brought up girls because mm-hmm. i do think it is a very this film hits themes that i've seen before um you know whether it's girls whether it's tiny furniture or i think the director might have even cited uh, palo alto as a as an influence the Gia coppola film please correct me if i'm wrong um and so i've seen these themes before so it's kind of like well what else you know like okay i get that she doesn't know what she wants to do and she's a liberal arts major and she's studying women's studies and probably literature and you know i I have been there as a liberal arts (laughs) student graduate and an english major and a women's study um major myself so i i get that from a very personal standpoint so i kind of want to be like what what more uh, do we want to get out of this character and and i think the the themes of the sugar babying stuff could have been a little stronger um and maybe help me understand like mm. what that what that lifestyle actually means because like one character kind of says like oh you're a you're a whore or something or you're like a sex worker and and n- I guess I just wanted to explore that a little more, not from a moralistic standpoint, but just like a logistical standpoint. Like, what is this life? What is this experience? And maybe we will see more of that if uh, if the director does end up producing this HBO um, comedy called Sugar that that was just announced this past week. So maybe we'll get to kind of dive in in the way that Tiny Furniture led to girls. You know, maybe this will lead to like a great uh, Gen Z coming of age show. So I, I feel like this movie is a great first effort or a great debut. Um, I kind of just want to see more of more from this, this uh, producing team or this director or, or even the lead actress um, who I thought was very charismatic. I um, didn't like this movie at all. Um, I, it's it's the type of thing where like I I was certain that I was told this was a comedy and then I watched it and I was like oh maybe I was wrong like maybe it's supposed to be like mother esque psychological horror trapped in a house everything's going wrong but like mother was funny I, I laughed a lot at mother and then I like went online and I was reading reviews and I was like oh no this is a comedy there are people who are claiming they laughed and I just like I don't know particularly what it was I think that um. As a as a person who has a friend who is a self-professed sugar baby, I found what little the movie spends dealing with that just 
incredibly I, I don't know i mean like you know there's got to be levels of sugar baby but like this did not reflect her experience at all so it felt to me almost like oh they like latched on to that concept but didn't really do any investigation into what it mm-hmm. usually means and so like when that one character does call her whore i you know n- not not to be like diminishing of of sex workers or sugar babies or anything but i was like yeah that's a little more reflective of what i'm seeing here than what i know other people's experiences are with this kind of arrangement mm-hmm. um and just it just i don't know i th- like i feel like this movie should should have been a home run for me because like I- i've said it before and i'll say it again um like east coast new york Jewish people and East Coast New York Italians are so close. They're so very close. Like Italians so are the happy Jews. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, she's wandering around this thing and everyone's like, oh, you're so skinny. You're so skinny. And as a person who has had to deal with from my Italian family, oh, you're so, you're so big. You got so big. And then when I slimmed down and I was like, look at me now, I'm going to go to this Thanksgiving and all these motherfuckers are going to shut up. And then they're just like, oh, my God, you're skin and bones. Are you not eating in college? Like, yeah. You know, and just the constant question, like I, I should have, I should, I should have felt a kinship with this, and for whatever reason, I was just like off put by the entire thing. I didn't like anyone, which is not like a, a requisite. None of these people are particularly likable, but like I didn't even care for any of them. You know, like you, it's not like coming across a complex character and being like, oh, okay, like I get it, and I see where you're coming from, and I see my flaws in you. Like I was just immediately not on the side of anyone in this movie and it's it's lack of any humor that hit with me or anything it was just like in i was shocked when it was over to realize that it was only like an hour and 17 minutes long i was just Mm -hmm. like wow that went on forever and then it was over and i looked and i was like oh no it didn't that was actually incredibly brief um and i still have a lot of my night left and so yeah i just um i'm excited to talk about it because um one of my favorite things in the world, and this is not hyperbole, or it's a hyperbole, but it's not a lie, uh, is when I'm the person who's the most negative on a movie surrounded by people who really liked it or at least appreciated it, because then I can be like, oh, good, help me understand this. I can't wait to hear the thoughts and opinions of someone who's who's so different from me. So that's exciting. I didn't but, yeah. waste my time. Right, yes. I mean, yeah. that will, unlike last week where I had to watch a <laughs> two-hour movie twice, and at the end of you the podcast... You didn't have to. You chose to. I couldn't yes. intelligently talk about that stupid movie. What I couldn't was last ex- week? Last week was Kong versus Skull oh, Island. No. Yeah, Godzilla yeah. versus God- Kong. Kong. <laughs> yeah. it, it was Godzuki. It was just Godzuki. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Godzuki. But yeah, it was. It, I, I saw it and then I forgot about it. And then I realized I had to watch it again before we podcast. And I was so upset with myself. Um but yeah, so this this movie, I watched it last night and I was like, okay, all right, that's over. I'm not excited to talk about it. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, no, no, because I'm pretty sure I know that that it, I thought I thought Robin, you were like championing this because you really liked it. And so I was like, oh, good. I can't wait to hear what she has to say. I did like it. Okay, that's good. Yeah. So there we go. I couldn't I couldn't remember then. My mind is going. I'm like Fred Melamed in this movie where I might just be. <laughs> so, so, You're Bob Buttled, as, as we would say in my my culture oh, exactly oh, um okay. and so yeah so i was like she she liked it i know she liked it there will be a conversation here at least and i won't just be <laughs> like 
pouting the whole time. And now you are. <laughs> uh, well, I'm 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 pouting with a smile because I'm excited to get to, to chat about this and see where I have another random question. Is is my microphone picking up the near constant loud rolling thunder that's going on outside? No, I don't hear any. Okay, that's nope. great. Um, there is a rainless storm rolling through DC right now, and uh, it's quite loud, but I'm glad you can't hear it. But yeah, so anyway, like I said, I'm excited to talk about this more. Um, well, I'm glad you both mentioned the sex work thing, and Brian, I'm glad you mentioned that. I also have a lot of friends who are sex workers, and um, when I first said, you know, it wasn't what I was expecting, I think that is what I was hinting at. Mm-hmm. Um, it did feel a bit like, first of all, I was curious to know what her, what the writer's experience was with sugaring and i've had did interview her and you know it's very minimal i think she Mm. she had a lot of friends who did it in college and she went on one date herself and never you know followed through on anything which whatever of course it's her personal choice it's just to then write a film about sex work when you have no experience with it um it did i think you're i i do agree with you brian that it felt like a little gimmicky or using the or I forget if Robin said that, but kind of using it as it's a great premise, right? It's great title. It's a great, it was such so easy to write my review. Like the headline writes itself. Mm-hmm. You know, Sugar baby. <laughs> Those are the best ones. Daddy at a Shiva. Like to me, that sounds hilarious, but it doesn't really end up being about sex work, which is kind of, I sort of give her a pass for not being a sex worker because it's not actually about sex work, but you are right that it does sort of sell itself as being about that and, you know, kind of trading on, it's kind of a, for lack of a better word, sexy concept that then it really just ends up being about this girl who's a little lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, I did find a lot of the stuff inauthentic in the th- just in the sense that, you know, I should, I'm actually friends with the actor who plays Max, Danny DeFerrari, you know he's a good looking guy like they're not it's not always like that um and also just how his character was sort of i don't know he seemed to be really concerned with you know the fact that she's not actually in law school and i just didn't fully buy that he would care that much or you know be so upset with her for lying to him i mean i think my impression is that there's a kind of a don't ask don't tell Thing between clients and mm. sex workers it's like we know you're not actually 22 but let's just pretend and his kind of just that he was young and handsome and and sort of obsessed with her I didn't I didn't really buy so that I mean that, I'm glad you both brought that up because it is I kind of just forgot it was about sex work and gave it a pass because I was like well she's not actually trying to talk about this thing but well, yeah, you're right that the yeah the concept is that's the pitch basically. Yeah, I mean it's it, I I assume that Shiva Baby is a play on Sugar Baby. I mean, that's what I assume yeah. that the title's doing. So it seems like it's a big part. And like I said, the log line on IMDb is that. But I, I like the movie. It, it to its credit is is more than that. But I think that that is also an issue because it then struggles to reconcile what should be its its pitch. Because it's also dealing with that, like, her her ex is there, and, like, no one knows what she's doing, and she herself can't even explain what her major is, because her college allows you to create your own major, and it sounds as though she doesn't quite even know what she has created or is moving towards. But, like... It's so interdisciplinary. 
Is it? <laughs> well, here's oh, the thing. It's funny you didn't laugh. I mean, didn't you think gender business was funny? I didn't even know if she was... I mean, literally no. took a class in college called gender labor. <laughs> so it was like very familiar to me. That is yeah. weird. No, I um I went to school. I took nothing but journalism and English classes once I cleared all my core credits for like science and language and stuff. So like, uh, I mean, I'm not saying that I made education. good choices in college either. I was an idiot and should should not have the life that I have because I should be impoverished somewhere. Um. But yeah, no, I mean, well, here's the funny thing. University of Maryland lets you do that. And that's what Jim Henson did. And he majored in Muppeteering. And it was like an offshoot of the art school. I swear to God, this is a real thing. (laughs) Yeah. So like. See, that's an interdisciplinary major. It's a thing. And uh, he turned it into the Henson Empire, you know, and uh, God bless him for it. But um, yes. Yeah. So like, I I don't know. I, I think I was more, I was interested in how it would play. Because, again, at least from my friend who who has done it and what she's told me about her friends who've done it, you become like a pretty big part of the person's life that you're in. Because half of the point of having a sugar baby is like loneliness and wanting to share your, your wealth and your time with someone. Like, you know, when she would tell me about her dates, she's like, oh, yeah, I went to his house. I watched football we chatted for a while it was awkward because his son came over at some point but like you know his son just thinks i'm like a girlfriend and doesn't know there's like money involved and like you know you you're not, it's it's not like it's not as clandestine ish as this movie ends up making it feel and also like she's I don't... super honest with him about everything he's doing and so like it the, the the movie kind of almost immediately transgresses against the idea of her being a sugar baby because she's lying. She doesn't even kind of seem to pretend to like him that much. But yeah. then when she gets to the party and all of his lies are being exposed, she's acting super offended. And I was like, oh, so are we building and up possessive. to... Yeah, are we building up to the idea that maybe she like had feelings for him and wasn't allowing herself to... Or is she just like... Is this just who she is? And so it's a grasping at control. Uh, She feels so out of control that manipulating him is is her uh, regaining that quote unquote upper hand that she thinks she should have in this situation. So did she into the think she ever had the upper hand? Hold hold on, hold on real quick. I think we kind of need to just go ahead and say to the audience, if you haven't seen this movie, uh, go watch this movie, right? Because I think we're we're going down a very quick path of of <laughs> well, so yeah. Like I don't again, I don't know what the fuck a spoiler is in this in the single location kind of drama comedy thing, but uh I I would definitely warn uh listeners away from continuing down this path because if if we're gonna actually have this conversation we're gonna have to get into it because you know there's there's just so much that happens over the course of of this one hour and 17 minute movie thank god uh uh but (laughs) you know it's uh it's one of those things where i i think we have to just go ahead and and tell our listeners like hey like let's let's yeah we're basically in spoiler territory now like it's happening yeah so just get ready because yeah again it's it's (laughs) it's in a movie like this where every new revelation is shocking but also like integral to the plot (laughs) and being able to talk at all it's that kind of comedy um yeah you can't talk about half of it so Um, i mean that's that's where i'm coming from in terms of just like viewing the sugar baby 
sex worker angle just because it it seemed like it was and again i i don't know whether to talk this up to like danielle not even understanding what being a sugar baby is supposed to be or the movie not understanding it and so it became for me kind of this weird sticking point because like yeah like it's it's for something that for something that people do that does have a stigma about it it seems rather important to me to to get it right and not to reduce it to its smallest level like i was gonna write uh i can't even remember if it was a book or a movie about um strippers and i like went to i I went to a strip club like twice a week for like four months and it was the most awkward thing in my entire life really tough research period for you it was (laughs) legitimately it was awful um it was it was real it was real terrible because like first you just walk in there and you you have the knowledge that everyone's like, oh, here's a guy entering a strip club and I'm going to get all his money. And then so it's me and my friend and our whole thing was like, we're going to sit here. We're going to drink. We're going to tip when they walk around and we are not going to interact at all to like let them know that like we're not here to like do stuff and like pay money. And it's, then weirdly, it's, there's really that. That. it's funny because that sounds even worse in a way like it, it sounds like would, y'all are even creepier than that you right know? It's, so it's it, like oh no so you're not yeah just i'm here interact. to steal your lives <laughs> no, so that's the, but that's the thing at some point they were like okay so who are these guys and then like one yeah, of them walked yeah. over and was like so what's going on and i was like oh like i'm a writer and i want to do something you know blah 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 and she was just so amped that i wasn't immediately like hey i'm a writer i'm trying to rip your life apart for my work i'm just here to observe and i am here to try to understand and like she told all the other ones and suddenly i had like 40 hours of interviews with these people that were just like like even sometimes during their shifts because they're like look i have a day job or i have kids i can't do this in the middle of the day so like when you come you know, I, I will sit at the bar with you when it's like a slow night and I will just talk. And they're like, does your recorder record with the music going? And I was like, eh, we'll give it a whirl. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the, the, the horrifying the end to that story is that at some point someone broke into my car and stole my bag. Oh, geez. That had all of my, first of all, it had a very expensive camera that I loved. And then it also had all my notes and my recorder and all my backups. Um, and then I just stopped going and I, honestly sometimes feel bad about it because i'm like all these people have no idea what happened to me (laughs) anyway but yeah so that's just my way of saying like if you're gonna do something like that you you feel like you kind of want to try to do it right and it kind of rubbed me the wrong way that this movie seemed to be like yeah yeah sugar baby i know what that is it's a it's a young girl who has sex with a dude for money. Um, I will say, I mean, I, the, the the representation of sex work is so dire that the fact that this is sort of neutral is actually a net positive. I would I would argue. I am horrified yeah, that I agree, I agree with, you. with you, but yes, you have you do have a point there. I just wish <laughs> that for a movie that kind of pushed it to the fore so much that it had just been like a step or two better than just like neutral, non judgmental. Yeah. Um, I I, I want to interject here because I've I've been listening to this conversation about how much this didn't ad- adequately represent sex workers or give them kind of nuance and all of this stuff and I think we're giving this character and her sex work lifestyle or whatever you want to call this too much credit in that 
I don't think that she necessarily has her shit together. And I think that's portrayed in the way that she's going about her sex work, the way that she's going about the relationships with her her family, with her previous, you know, uh lover and all of these different things, right? Like she is she is very much I mean, in the middle of this film, she has a, a nervous breakdown, right? Um, that is not coming up because she's got her life together. That's coming up because she is, it, it, people are constantly kicking the legs out from underneath her. And so she is just in this very kind of rut kind of lifestyle, I feel. And everything kind of comes to the fore when, when she sees him show up in a very unexpected place and you know the fact that she finds out that he's married and all of these things so i think in a way she's both very young very naive and i think we're giving her too much credit for being a like here's the thing there are people that do any number of jobs that are really good at their job and really shitty at their job, right? And because they're shitty at their job doesn't mean if there's a film that portrays that person as shitty at their job means that everybody's just shitty at that job, right? <laughs> like no, like it, I think I think we're 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 digging in a little bit too deep like cuz yes, she is portrayed as a sex worker, she is portrayed as as living this kind of lifestyle but it almost seems like it's not necessarily something that she's going to continue to do if she's going to continue to do anything. I don't know what the fuck she's going to do with the rest of her life, you know? So this may be a fad, this may be a phase, this may be a long-term thing, but I don't think the character, I don't think the film gives us enough to say that this character is going to pursue one thing or another, uh, you know, confidently down the line. So I just, I just like, I, I'm all for let's have a, a very good and, and honest discussion about like, you know, whether this is accurate representation and all of that stuff. But I feel like, man, we are, we are really digging at this film for having a character that just kind of doesn't, doesn't know what she's doing with her life. Well, so, so I, that's kind of why I said at one point, like, I don't know if, I don't know if it's a lack of awareness of what a sugar baby does on the movie's part or the character's part. Cause like the character also yes. may seem like she just doesn't know exactly what like in the that middle, title in does. The middle and she may just be using shiva. it as a, she like, she might just be using the title of sugar baby as a way to make her feel a way to make herself feel better about what she's actually doing, which she won't like cop to. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, in the middle of a shiva, she sends her sugar baby a new it's her sugar pick daddy. of herself. Her sugar daddy. Yeah, her she sugar, is the baby. Is the daddy. daddy. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. And so it's it's just like she is she is a hot mess right now. Like she really though, Bill, is. you did just give me a great idea for another movie. It's called The Sugar Baby's Sugar Baby, and um, <laughs> I have no idea what it's about, but I'm going to make it. It's like Matt it sounds like a Ponzi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it sounds like a Ponzi scheme. So, uh, you know, I will say it kind of uh, maybe this is just me being a jerk, but I kind of wonder if we're glomming onto this concept of sugar babies or whatever. Like, first of all, I thought sugar daddies are supposed to be like old dudes and like that's the point. I mean, I kind of feel like the the boyfriend's a little too hot, but whatever the not the boyfriend, but the the 
client or whatever. Her daddy. Um, it's, I mean, you know, the sugar there's daddy. terminology involved here. Hot. Like, I would have kind of maybe liked to see, like, her, if it was a friend of her father instead of just, like, some Well, so that's what I thought it was going to be. And, in fact, I was like, oh, it's interesting that they're showing her with, like, a boyfriend. Right. I wonder if he right. doesn't know that she's a sugar baby, if that's also going to be a problem. And then I'm like, oh, he's the dude? He's the guy. All right. It, it like there's not enough of a of a, the gross factor that we're I think supposed to that's supposed to like punch you in the gut here. Um, at least that's what I was expecting with a log line like that. But mm-hmm. going to to your point, Bill, about um, you know her being kind of lost, and that's the, the biggest theme of the film is not so much like whether she's doing this or not, but that she's just kind of messy. I so you're saying like oh you know she doesn't know what she's doing and she doesn't have life experience and I kind of for a second was thinking like yeah that's the director like the director is 24 doesn't have a lot of life experience and this is why the the theme of her film is about a kid who doesn't know what they're doing and doesn't have life experience so like I I obviously take it seriously because I do think it's a very good debut effort but at the same time I'm like well, does she know more than this? I mean, I don't know anything about her. I don't know what kind of life she grows in. And just because you're 24 doesn't mean you don't have life experience. And I say that from my own personal experience. At the same time, you're like, okay, here's this like privileged kid who is probably from Long Island. I don't really know. And (laughs) she's going to NYU. And we know that like rich kids go to NYU. And again, I'm being a jerk. I realize it. (laughs) But I'm just uh, there's no way that she's on financial aid like (laughs) there's just something about there's a whole situation that just smacks like here's a kid who's been indulged and is a little bit a bohemian and Mm -hmm. you know is struggling against that but at the same time it's like you know I I want to say okay get a real problem but like actually she does have real problems like there's serious buy erasure going on in her family and I kind of wish the film leaned into that a little bit more or explored her relationship with her ex a little bit more because what the what's supposed to be funny in the film is that she's trying to avoid this ex-girlfriend of hers who is her like childhood best friend and everybody in the family or her family friends are saying like oh you, the girl you experimented with or like you know mm-hmm. oh you it went to prom together it was just a phase and no funny business yeah right exactly yeah, yeah. and that was as, like as really grating as, <laughs> as if that's funny right like like i had a relationship with this person and, yeah and you know, i wanted her to like explode at everybody and say that and we never we never get an explosion <laughs> well we get and, a lot of things in this movie <laughs> But not yeah. really about that particular no, thing. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Now that we're past the spoiler part, I actually, I thought that the ending, you know, I thought their kiss was actually one of the more satisfying moments in the film. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it almost felt like retroactively, there could have been an edit where, you know, you realize that sh- she realized that that's more what the film is about. And let's play that up more in the edit or something. Um, mm-hmm. but I thought that was actually a very sweet, sweet moment and a sweet part of the film. The, um, it, it feels the very honest and re- yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, it feels very honest and real, especially in that moment. And, it, and it's so funny because it seems like it's, it's such a typical lover's quarrel in that like people oftentimes quarrel over not communicating 
right? And and it's just mm-hmm. like, okay, let's let's just get past the bullshit. Like, do you still like me? Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> you know, let's let's fucking move on. And that that just reminded me so much of of that kind of situation where it's just like, man, they are just, you know, you can tell throughout the film how much her I can't remember her name right now. Uh, oh, Maya. Maya uh, how yeah. much Maya like actually cares for her because a like she's one of the first people like she seeks her out right and is like kind of kind of nice at first and then kind of turns salty pretty quick and but all throughout she constantly keeps coming back and helping and helping and helping and so it's just one of those moments where you just like okay like you two clearly still well at least maya still seems to definitely care for danielle in a way that's more than just you know we're friends or something like that it it just seems like yeah and yeah, that, that kiss to me was, you know, one of the most real moments where she was like, all right, I'm going to cut the bullshit and like actually do what what I mean and what I want. Oh, see, to me, that was just a massive moment of manipulation. Yeah. Hmm. Like I read I that read as it. her being like, oh, well, you know, can't communicate, blah, blah, blah. Clearly, like I have no upper hand here as I don't in anything else. But what I can do is kiss this girl who clearly still has a feelings for me and then utilize that as a means of making her think I have feelings for her just to not win, but end this argument that I know I'm going to lose and become even more humiliated about. I think (laughs) it wasn't an act of manipulation, but I don't think it was deceptive. Like she's doing it to say, like, I want to veer this conversation away from my humiliation. (laughs) Um, But I, but I don't think she was just doing it to, uh, to push the, her aside or to say, I mean, it was essentially like a shut up kiss, but I, I think there was real feeling there, but it's like all wrapped up in the drama of what's happening inside the house. Like it's hard to separate that kiss from her feelings of inadequacy or embarrassment or, um, you know, there's, there's a whole part of this film that we haven't even touched where she feels so, less than compared to her sugar daddy's wife who's this um uh, this i don't know what you would call it like a girl boss like a mom boss type (laughs) i was not really sure what to make of that character and it was very ironic to me that diana agron who plays her um is is jewish in real life but is playing the shiksa goddess whereas (laughs) rachel senate is i think not jewish in real life yeah it's it's playing with um, identity and character in so many interesting ways. But to go back to the kiss, like I I do think it was contrived, but not contrived from a writerly standpoint, but from from the character standpoint. Like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take this action to make my my feelings of um, of being inferior go away. Right, which is a totally normal thing that people do. Yeah, I agree. And I'm glad you brought that up, Bill, about her. Yeah, she's I mean, she is a lost character. And that is that is an archetype that is a very valid and interesting character to frame a movie around, especially Mm -hmm. a comedy. Yeah, and I I think I think 
you know, Robin brought up something so interesting about about Diana Agron and her own kind of background, and and that's that's so interesting because they even they even talk about it in the film a little bit more in detail. They they mention something about like, oh, wasn't her father Jewish? And and uh, uh, Danielle's mom is like, oh, that doesn't fucking count. And it's just like, okay, I well, guess. I mean, like, what the fuck. Which is a thing. It doesn't. I mean, isn't that... The rabbis wouldn't count it. Yeah. Yeah. Hitler would, so... Right? Well, well, we don't want to take our cues from Hitler. It's it's oh just interesting because because there's there's just a a pecking order so obvious in in this particular space right and I think I think it's so funny because we're kind of putting a lot on Danielle and you know uh, wondering why she or not wondering but like you know pointing out that she doesn't quite have her life together and that she's kind of living living this kind of bohemian lifestyle as Robin put it but I think it's so funny because you look at like her surroundings and you're just like well yeah what the fuck like so many people are just in each other's business to a degree that's just like unhealthy and it's so have you met jewish people i was about to say that's family dude like what are you talking about yes that is family but i also feel like this is more than just family like this is this is very much like people are much more into each other's lives and just very open about it as well which which kind of made me laugh when when her mom and i guess her friend are talking about like some the guy or the size of some guy's schlong that like the other friend was like attracted to and all this stuff and you're just like holy shit like what is go- like we're at a shiva right which is kind of a a wake in a way i guess i don't know that much about jewish uh you know procedure and things like that but um it just seems like this is not the place to have that conversation out loud and it's just like man these people's are just so intertwined in each other's lives to me to just a healthy degree. And this is why a lot of people like move out and like move away from family is because they just feel like, uh, Danielle in this film where they're just surrounded and just like, you know, claustrophobic in a way. I I mean, most people would move away, though, because their parents don't agree with the choice that they've made. And her problem seems to be that she's not excited that no one is supportive of her not making choices. Hmm. <laughs> and like, you, I, no, yeah. well, no, please go on, Rob. Oh, sorry. I, I, it, what you were just saying, Bill, um, made me think of this question that I had during the film. And I was curious, if Jude, if you had thoughts about this. Um, so there's so much attention subtle attention played to her weight and the way she eats uh-huh. and mm-hmm. i know that um so shivas <laughs> like i i don't know what wakes are like per se but shivas are all about the the spread it's bagels it's lox it's capers it's whitefish salad um it's you know all sorts of delicious things and like i shit you not i did once write an anthropology paper on the shiva spread and my <laughs> love of whitefish salad okay amazing so the the reason i bring this up is because food is this like um motif that happens throughout the film but i 
got the sense that maybe she has some kind of eating disorder or at least engages in some kind of disordered eating that is like mildly hinted at. And Mm -hmm. eating disorders are like very common in the Jewish community and not a lot of people like I don't know how well known that is. Um, But I was once talking to my nutritionist and she said it's so common that they're actually um, eating disorder clinics and programs specifically for Jewish people um, because of because of that thread. And you can tie a lot of uh, concepts of eating disorders to like assimilation and being like, okay, we are going to like Jewish people and the American consciousness are going to become white by fulfilling these uh quote unquote a white american beauty standards and so even in my own family there's lots of there's what i would call like a collective eating disorder um where it's like you know oh are you really gonna eat that or like oh you're not gonna Mm. eat that and uh, i mean i could talk about this forever but my point is i was curious if judah's and you're you're jewish am i correct i am fully jewish so I was curious. If you, yeah, of course. It counts. Jesus, 100%. <laughs> I was curious if you had kind of similar thoughts, like think think this is an actual theme or if I'm just completely. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I was okay. just, I rewatched the intro and she's taking, she takes potato salad on her plate. She puts it back. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that. A few that. times she takes, she fills a plate and then like puts it all back, which you know, post COVID, you're watching that. You're just like, Oh my God, (laughs) (laughs) but it's actually just kind of funny. Um, and that whole thing of like, you know, pushing food, but then also for my family, it's a lot of like eat, eat, you haven't eaten enough, but then Mm -hmm. also like you should watch your weight. Yeah. You know, that thing Brian was talking about of like, it's never, you know, you lose weight, you're too skinny or if you don't eat, but then you're too fat, you know, it's like, well, (laughs) What do you want from me? But I think there was, and I'm, it's interesting that you mentioned it because I think, I think there were, there's a lot going on for the character. And like you said, probably for the filmmaker. And it does strike me that, you know, maybe the food stuff was closer to home mm-hmm. and she could have, you know, just picked the food stuff and the kind of aimless career thing you know, she didn't really need the sex work stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it does seem like she was kind of trying. It's like, oh, we'll deal with this and this and this. All it's like things. Seinfeldian. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, my sugar daddy showed up. <laughs> right. This is it, it, it's so funny that you mentioned this because like this is this has been a very common criticism of a lot of first time filmmakers or like, you know, debut, which, you know, a- always has this kind of own baggage, which is, you know, they may have been toiling away with, you know, several short films. So they don't feel like they're a debut filmmaker. But mm. anyway. Uh, but this actually is. This, I think it was her first short, and then she yeah, to a feature. So she's well, not go. one of those. Yeah, so she uh, hit yeah. on a good but, idea uh, right away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is based on her 2018 short film of the same name. Yes, so, which was um, her NYU but, thesis. Okay, yeah. um, but I, I think it's so interesting that you're like, okay, is are they juggling too much? And I feel like this, this often happens with so many first time filmmakers where you can tell they're trying to put so many things on the page. It's almost the opposite of like a, a debut band or something like that, where they have this album that they've probably been touring with for like, you know, 10 years and they finally get their big break and everybody's like, wow, this is great. And let me see what you got next. And they're like, Oh, we 
don't have anything. That was our magnum opus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that was it. And I feel like so many first-time filmmakers don't, you know, I mean, the indie film era and everything like that film is in such a flux right now that i feel like so many first-time filmmakers maybe don't think they that they might get a second chance so they just pack these things filled Mm. to the brim and this one i think for being an hour and 17 minutes maybe maybe yes the sex work stuff is a little thin um but I think she really explores quite a bit in an hour and 17 minutes. I would say she mentions quite a bit. I don't know if she explores it particularly well. well. I think, and I think, again, I think that's my, one of my issues with the movie Mm -hmm. is that like, I'm getting a lot of good, you know, the end of a paperback where it's like, here's some things to talk about with your reading discussion group moments, (laughs) but like nothing that makes me feel like there's an answer even possibly inherent in the text. Mm. <clears throat> well, I, so yeah, I don't, know. I don't necessarily. I don't necessarily know if if all of the, all of the films that I'm looking for answers out of out of the movies, but uh, no, I, I mean I think that's fair that maybe this kind of uh, unearths more than it kind of really digs in, right? Um, but it it definitely still for me kicks kicks that conversation down down the street in a way that like okay i can i can still kind of you know talk about it and and kind of pick up on these threads and themes and things like that um but no i i think it's so funny that that you mentioned how how kind of maybe you know there were too many things being juggled because it's it's so common with with these debut films where it's just like holy shit you you've really swung for the fences like yeah. uh let's maybe next time let's uh let's go with one theme and really nail that <laughs> you, know? you know i felt that way about uh king of staten island i was like this did mm. not need to be two hours it could have been really good as kind of just a, <laughs> a a more a narrower character study but it was like pete davidson wanted to put his whole life into it you know yeah like i'm never gonna get another chance to do my memoir right <laughs> yeah well i good, i know. get that i feel that <laughs> right i will say i think probably also a lot of these things were you know coming from the comedy element right i mean it's funny the like you were saying bill like everyone's in each other's business i mean that's funny i i find the whole concept of the fact that someone has died and people are just sitting around eating bagels like mm-hmm. and that that is what Jews do when someone dies is very funny to me. And the fact that they're gossiping about, oh, you know, oh, she didn't she didn't go to law school, whatever. Like there is just inherent comedy in the juxtaposition of the fact that we are at a funeral and people are gossiping and eating and, you know, talking about sex and size of people's schlongs and yeah and it's such a jewish thing right like very jewish jewish uh the way jewish people mourn not to be like such a cultural translator or whatever but like it's all about the living um we we, (laughs) no but it's true universal you know that not trying to take anything away but again i only the people i know who've died um usually tend to be Italian or Irish uh, or, like, my best friends. Oh, there's such veneration of, like, Jewish people, we don't even like to see the body. 
like we're buried in two days because it's like let's get it over with like there's no ornamentation <laughs> you're buried in a pine box in a shroud and jude please correct me if i'm wrong here yeah. but it really is about like i went to my husband's um grandmother's funeral and it was like w- it, uh the connection to seeing the body was just something so different from that from what i had experienced that i really uh it really made me uncomfortable actually because it's all about just like get her done with <laughs> mm. like get it in get the body in the ground and like let's move on with our lives and celebrate that we're that we're alive um it, it is very <laughs> I different it. i think than than um some christian traditions and i'm not sure about um muslim or uh, you know other abrahamic religions but that is definitely how it is with jewish people so it, i think you're i agree with you jude that the juxtaposition where you're supposed to be in mourning but it becomes this like uh, drama of the gifted child or something <laughs> like really, really was, I think, funny to me inherently. Um, but what I did find interesting is that it, you know, we've seen this character before in some ways, right? Like she's, she's, uh, I think the anxiety piece is really interesting. So I, I see a lot of like the Rachel Bloom in her construction or a lot of the, the kids on transparent who are just like all about their, you know, shivering in their anxieties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Alana from broad city and like the character that Jenny Slate played an obvious child. Like they all like stand out to me as even, even Lena Dunham, who I don't think her, I don't think Hannah Horvath is Jewish, but like there's something coming from like a very classically, uh, I don't know if it's like Jewish or Catskills or vaudeville or something, but you know, like that comedy tradition is so based in the work that is in girls. So I just feel like yeah. I, I wanted something a little more. And I think the sexuality pushes her there. Um, you don't often see like the sexy Jewish heroine, or it's like, it's usually like this like <sighs> manipulator or like <laughs> the, the Belgeweave type. Like it's, I think her overt sexuality was very interesting to me and I wanted to see a little bit more of it. And we get like little touches here and there. Well, like, it's weird. Cause you, you even just said overt sexuality and I was like, is it? And then you said we needed to see more of it. And I just think, well, well I think it's, it's not there, overt? right? Like, like somebody who is at, you know, at a funeral taking like titty shots. Like that's, that's overt. I don't know. That seemed characters. like, again, just like desperate, unhinged, but sexual. <laughs> I I See, don't and, even and know that is... I would go there. I don't think that she's being motivated by any kind of desire or libido. She's just trying to fuck with this guy that she didn't even seem to have enjoy having sex with. Like she seems to receive no joy from anything in her life. Sex is never about sex though. Sex Ex- is about power. What is what is the oh, damn it, I was gonna make a joke, but then I couldn't remember the other half of that. <laughs> Everything is about oh, it's, no. Everything is about sex except for sex. It's about power. right. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Okay, yeah. okay, that was going to drive me nuts. I'm glad I remembered that. Um, but yeah, I don't. It's again though. It's just like she she takes no joy from anything. She seems to want and desire nothing. Like and to me, that's mistaking anxiety or uncertainty for just a void of a personality that's a void of a personality i think that is a personality like i don't know about you all but i think anxiety and sex are really tied together 
for some people. Um, and I wish I could give more examples, but like, I feel like I have seen this before where, and as a way to avoid your feelings or your emotions, you, you dive into sex. Like, isn't that the whole point of, right. But usually you dive in with something like enthusiasm. Mm. No, not, not, not necessarily. So. I don't think yeah. so. Plenty of people like, like don't. This is, this is like... But not even... Like okay, your, I, I don't even mean like whole, joyful enthusiasm. I mean like alcoholic enthusiasm. Like, like you, you know what I mean? That's a terrible way to put it. Uh, if you have an alcohol addiction, please seek help. Um, well, but like, I'm, you know, I just just some sort of... It's a motivation that you might mistake for a positive one but that is obviously destructive and again it's for her i don't even feel like she wants to do any of the things that she is doing but she's not even struggling with the fact that she's doing things she doesn't want to do i i think i think alcoholism is is a good good kind of thing to note here because she has very destructive tendencies like what the fuck is she doing sending those pictures to him right in the middle of the shiva right she knows he's got a, his phone on him and he's getting these text messages or these i guess in app messages you know right there at the at the shiva she like keeps confronting him and his wife and the baby and is just like it just seems like it's a very downward like spiral that she's going through so i think alcoholism is a great example in that that's exactly what she's kind of going through right but again these uh, destructive tendencies that you know she might hook up with a fucking jewish guy and not realize that she's connected to his family like what the fuck that is like the most jewish thing like Like, what the fuck are you doing but no i I think i think we i think what we're touching on is that her life is so messy as it's kind of presented to us that it gives us all of these different kind of shades to kind of pull from where brian you seem to think that she just doesn't have any enthusiasm for anything and we're saying maybe these are destructive tendencies and maybe that's that's part of that as well and maybe maybe it's you know i know y'all kind of push back against the fact that like i was like what the fuck is this family and y'all like i know that family it's my family you know it's it's like okay uh and i get that like i totally understand like my family is definitely like when are y'all getting married when are y'all getting married and i'm like jesus christ like but now you're getting married. <laughs> yeah, and now I'm getting married, and now now I want to. It worked. Be like and now you can yeah, all I'm, shut up for two days until you start asking when the grandkids are on the way. Exactly, exactly. And so it's it's just one of those things where I think I think her life, like I said, as as presented, is so messy that you can you can pull a lot of different things from it. And I don't think anybody necessarily is wrong because I don't think there's a lot of confidence in like what is she doing, you know. Yeah, I think you're right. Like she's, if there's anything she's enthusiastic for, it's her own self-sabotage. Like that's what I took <laughs> away from this. Mm. Um, I mean, even like the the most depressing part of the film for me, and obviously we're in spoilers, uh, is when she lures him upstairs to the bathroom and tries to give him a blowy. And he's like, nah, dog. Like that was so humiliating for me. I couldn't, I, 
this movie just made me like sweat. I was more upsetting like, than that is the fact that you called it a blowy. That's so <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, a, a blow day. A blow. No! <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the sexual humiliation is among the worst of the humiliations. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I, of all the humiliations, <laughs> social, emotional, sexual is definitely up there. Yeah, top tier humiliation. Uh, and I, there are probably other horrifying moments in the film that I have t- completely forgotten about. But the scene at towards the end where everybody is just like making fun of her, or, like teasing her, and she's just obviously breaking down. <laughs> and they're like calling her a baby, and they're dealing with like that crying child that was obvious that was like a monster. I oh my god, that, that child! So. This is one of those things where as as a, as a male, as a human male, as a human being who has a child, right, and has had to deal with, like, when they were that young, every time I see a child in a movie now that will not stop crying, I just scream, like, get it to a hospital. Oh, God, There's, why? Because there is no moment in a, the lifespan of a human being when they should be crying that much and are inconsolable. If you have tried burping... What about a colicky baby? That's the problem. Get him to a hospital. The go go work on it. A colic is not something to be joked about. That's a real thing. You got to work on that. Oh my god, you're such a dad. Yeah, like anytime I'm in a movie and I'm like, if you've tried changing, feeding, and like you know, then burping, obviously, and then putting to sleep, and it's your child is still crying, you go to a hospital. You call the doctor because something is wrong. And so, like, it just it's it's one of those things. I never used to like it. In movies, because it always just seemed like a very obvious way to like ratchet up tension or show that something like, yeah, like when a cop would go into someone's house and be like, we're here to talk about the fact that your husband was murdered. And it's just like the kids are running around and one of the babies won't stop crying. I'm just like, we yeah. get it. Or like the, the rain's coming down. <laughs> yeah, we get it. Her life is a shambles. There's a lot going on. But like now that I've had to raise a child, I'm just like, no, that's that at that point is dangerous and you need to do something about it. Oh, what a humble brag. Like I've raised a child and it's so hard. Well, look, look, it's <laughs> yeah. not a humble bag. I'm not done yet. I could still fuck this <laughs> up at any moment. <laughs> it's, it's funny that you mentioned that, Brian, though, because I don't know if there's a place in in the Shiva house that uh, you could you could have a, a baby take a nap. Maybe maybe I'm I'm overextending like w- what a baby needs in terms of uh, environment, but it, it doesn't seem like like everybody's on top of each other and throughout this entire. If there's movie. like one the room point of that a they shiva, put the coats was, in, you know, the point of bringing the baby is to show off the baby. Like that is your that is your <laughs> cultural capital at a shiva. It's like look at yeah, my baby, I breed so who well. Brings a baby to a shiva. Like is that a thing? I wanted to oh, ask that. Is yes, that, absolutely. You're not supposed <laughs> like, to do it's that. It's your family. No. You go to bring to to um. You go to absolutely show off the baby. Like, that is why you were there. You were not there to mourn, like, Phyllis. You're there to bring your your Aryan beautiful child so everybody can look at it. Jesus. Wow. Um, No, because, like, because everyone just kept saying, like, who brings baby to a shiv? And I was like, "Uh, I brought a baby to a funeral. But I, it's I not weird. To. I don't understand. People that bring their babies all sorts of places. Right, I think, yeah, I think it's <laughs> that that baby was brought. I think that's, that's kind of the, the intonation. Maybe. Oh, maybe I don't know because they just seemed to be like, oh, babies, and I'm like, there's like a three year old running around. At what point do they stop being a baby? Is it when they can stand? Now it's fine to have them here. 
<laughs> okay, speaking it's of babies. It's when they can eat locks on their own. Yeah, I don't know when you can do that. Um, well, locks I was, are, are not solid, right? I mean, like, that baby could probably eat some locks. Yeah, it's like a, a strip of fish. I, right, I, I locks said on, 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 their, on their own. Oh, so they have to serve like, themselves, okay. too? Yes, oh, yes, boy. yes. <laughs> I, like, it's, I'm curious what Cora thought of this film. <laughs> I, she didn't see this film. So my, my experience with trying to watch this film was uh, I couldn't get it to work on the Vimeo app. And so I would have had to watch it downstairs in my living room uh, b- before my ex left for her from her day with Cora. And um, so I didn't want to do that. So I'm like, well, I'm, gonna, I'm already in the bedroom and I'm already looking to watch a movie. So instead I watched Coherence because um, I was like, I just need something short, you know. And so I watched Coherence. Cora saw some of Coherence. She liked it. <laughs> okay. I don't know what that is. You've never seen Coherence? It's um, mm, it's uh, James yeah. Ford. Horror drama. Burkett and um it's like about mm-hmm. a dinner party oh yeah actually now that i think about it it's got a lot in common visually and socially with this movie um because it's about a dinner party there's a lot of people asking a lot of questions and there's a lot of like interpersonal tension uh where it diverges from shiva baby <laughs> is that there's a comet going overhead that causes some weirdness and it's about these people trying to deal with said weirdness um Sounds the issue like uh like melancholia it's um no it's i i I don't i don't want to like tell you too much about it but it's really good and it's super short and it's on amazon prime so if you're like looking for something to watch it's fun but so she was watching it and of course she's like why are they mad at each other and i was like i can't even begin to explain to you why they're mad at each other (laughs) but like she left after 15 minutes and said what are you watching and i said i'm watching coherence she's like i like coherence and then left the room but she She did not watch shiva baby (laughs) Cora is poor, just so you know, Jude. Oh, wow. Okay. She loved Minari. Um, She loved Minari. (laughs) She couldn't read English, but she loved Minari. Yeah. I wonder if there's something, since I feel like we've gotten into the details of the plot a lot, but there is something. I love that you brought up Uncut Gems, Robin, because, I mean, different. It's a very Jewish movie. (laughs) Very. It's a Passover movie. Yeah. Well, and also just that, like, I, I like that comparison. I don't think a man would have made that comparison. I don't mm. think, you know, whatever the Safty Bros who the Safty Bro Bros <laughs> would uh, probably not agree. You know, they're like it's a you know it's totally different. But One I of them like has that. Uncut gems. <laughs> I think it's cool that she is kind of. I don't know. She's doing this thing. It's this like lost sort of unlikable woman character, you know, that trap of like, well, she's not likable. Like she's unlikable. She's kind of a mess. It's tense. It almost has like a genre. Yes. It almost has like a, it's a bit of like a a horror thriller. Like there are kind of like the, the score particularly, you know, and so many horror as, as someone mentioned, I think that a lot of horror films are using string scores right yeah, now. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Someone plucking a fiddle. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's cool. Like, I don't think a lot of, I mean, obviously there's a lot of women making horror films, but not necessarily this kind of tense, like, thriller by way of, you know, psychological thriller by way of one single character's kind of weird coming of age or non coming of age story yeah it's like hyper real in a way right because you're seeing it through the lens of her i don't know if she has panic disorder or whatever but you see it through the lens of her um her panic attacks and her anxiety attacks and i think that's what makes it so brutal in some ways like it is it is absolutely a comedy 
but it it's also it's a cringe comedy for sure yeah well for sure it's a cringe comedy but it's it's like a thriller to me like i i was watching it feeling like i gotta get out of here oh god <laughs> like mm-hmm. what's that's gonna the exact happen same that's how i had while feels. watching it but not yeah but not in a good way the character feels right the <laughs> yes that's exactly how the, yeah so like she put me in her mind very well where there's that um almost like funhouse mirror mm-hmm. distortion of like real life when you're going through those moments where you're like yeah it's like, like uh, am i really here <laughs> fear and loathing in las vegas Mm, I haven't seen that actually, but oh, I imagine, oh. but I can see that sort of like I'm just eating a bunch of stuff. Have you seen Mother? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Okay, well, I loved Mother, oh, and okay. again, this this movie reminded me a lot of Mother in that way. I feel like that you may, not just because it's about a person trapped in a house, um, but you know, partially because of that. And um, yeah, I don't know. I I agree with the uncut gems thing in terms of like like surface level that that makes a lot of sense as a comparison but once again I, I as much as i joked like but that movie has uncut gems like i think that him chasing a goal and having to fight to achieve that goal made that more of like a a thing that stuck with me than this where again it just feels like she's avoiding having to even declare a goal yeah it well, but they're... a little odd if it's it's her first movie out of film school but it's like what I don't know that she could answer what does this character want, which is sort of the thing they hammer into you in screenwriting yeah. class, right? Right. And like, but I mean, d- doesn't that break, doesn't that kind of break a rule that then becomes kind of interesting, but maybe not, not interesting? I think to that there's watch? some rules like, that like, exist like, for a reason, though. And I feel sure. like that's one of, like, you know, if you are building a bridge over X amount of square feet long, you should make it a suspension bridge, you know? But like, okay. <laughs> But but I, I think but I, think I think Bill has a like, point. That's like, like, like a bold move. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and yeah. and we're we're taking a character that like hasn't figured her shit out, and we're kind of following her journey. It's kind of this snapshot in her journey, right? Well, it doesn't so what, mean that this character won't find her her footing at some point, or maybe she winds up in a ditch dead. I don't know. Oh my god! Like, like I don't know. You know, th- this is crazy. But you know, it's sugar it's baby too. Day of the Soldado. Oh god! <laughs> Ew! But don't even go there. Know, it's it's just one of those things where I think I think you know we're we're talking about how like that that is kind of a a a film school kind of rule and theme and like have a, have a point of view and have like you know your character and your themes na- nailed down and like what what does she want what is her desire and it's like all right fuck it like some people don't don't necessarily have that shit kind of together and maybe maybe there's kind of room for having a film about that now maybe you don't do that as your first time film you know maybe you do that as your second or third or fourth um but you know i mean again like we don't we just don't know (laughs) how confident necessarily emma is in that she's gonna get a second chance and you know i i i think I'm always more impressed that people put in more themes than they can actually handle than them not putting hardly anything in their films. I think that's a good point. I think there's a lot of empty, empty films out there and not necessarily just like big budget stuff. You know, I mean, that is what it is. But, you know, I mean, even mumblecore, blah, blah. Right. Sure. Sure. There's there's a lot of indie films like that where I'm just like, Jesus, like, okay, like I I get it. So. You know, I, I Chris is going I home think... and he hasn't seen his parents in three years and his dad just died. It's like, okay. 
Yeah, I've been there, Chris. Done Everyone's done <laughs> Right. Thank you. So here's the thing. I don't think Howie Ratner is as grounded as you think he is, though, because, yeah, like, he has a MacGuffin. Like, he's got to get, you know... He's got to get the opal and blah, blah, blah. Like, we get that. But his issue is really a lot more psychological and well, emotional so that's that's oh, true yes. though but then i would reaching he's, he's for a, the stars right like, and i would a fucking mess he's a I, he is a goddamn mess but here's the thing and this goes back to what i said when people do self-destructive things they tend to do them with a kind of enthusiasm that should only be reserved for constructive things and he is never happier than when he is on the edge about to be murdered and he decides to like make another bet right like yeah. he lights up in those moments and that's horrible and he shouldn't do that um, but like, again, th- there is in that moment, you can at least be like, oh, that's what he's chasing. He's chasing the high and it's odd and it's terrible and he shouldn't be doing it. But like, I never got that in this movie. Like Bill says, like, what's like, she's, this is a snapshot of her journey. Like, I don't like, what yeah, is but the, do women what is her externalize? Not to be a gender essentialist, but like, I don't think that we are used to women having these kinds of emotions on screen because we we see men externalize these existential problems, whereas women are, again, gender essentialists, but women are much more internalizing because of the way that we are socialized. So, like, it's easy to say, okay, she is not... Uh, she's not enthusiastic and I don't understand her as a character or she's doing exactly what millions of women do, which is going inward when men would go outward. Mm. Right. Yeah. Again, I'm relying on the binary and like that. Maybe that's not fair. There's, there's definitely a, a kind of masculinity to like, you know, that outward expression of like joy and happiness and, and all of this other bullshit. Right. It's, it's kind of this or fucking up. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I think I think men, especially the way that we're raised now, are much more comfortable in that mode, right? Where just like, like, all you got to do is just turn on the NFL and see someone <laughs> make a tackle, and then you just, like, look at them, like, dance around and parade themselves, and you're like, you have, like, three more plays in this drive alone. Like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? You made one play. Sh- like, shut up, sit down, and, and go do it again, dude. Like, what the fuck is going on? Don't dance so, until at least halftime. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I see this every every you know time i watch the nfl and all all sorts of other bullshit like it's there's there's just so i guess men in a lot of ways are just like like it would be so weird in a way to see women do that not because it would be bad but just because it would be like different right and it's like <laughs> like I can't, I can't imagine like watching a sport where women just like parade around that they did something. I'd just be like, "What? The Have you fuck never watched is- like we're the not World Cupers. Cup?" Yeah, yeah. What? Have you never watched the Women's World Cup? Oh, I mean, celebrating a goal is a very different thing than celebrating a play in the middle of a game. Well, okay. Here's another thing, Bill. Though, is that football is the only game where like it fucking stops all the goddamn time. <laughs> Like, like you won't even get a snap off and it'll stop again and everyone will dance because they're bored as shit. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, this is why boys are diagnosed with ADHD in elementary school and, 
<laughs> girls who as, with ADHD as, are not diagnosed till their 30s. Because as someone with ADHD, I, I ditto. <laughs> <laughs> like we're like a lot of little girls do not like run around the classroom and you know t- impulsively talk off their heads off. Some little girls are quiet and just don't pay attention. And oh God, again, it's not really about ADHD. That. <laughs> it's not right. specifically about that, but I'm just talking about like you know the way we externalize or internalize like these same exact core issues of being humans like i i guess i related to the style of filmmaking because of the way that seligman um expresses it's almost like um i'm not gonna call it expressionistic but like she she demonstrates the internal life of the main character just through like these melodramatic moments where you're like what is real what is happening i'm sweating and so hot right now why i got that yeah yeah when, when, when she comes out of that bathroom i was i was like a whole also I'm like i need a glass let, of water <laughs> let me let me say two things really quick a fucking lock your phones what the fuck is wrong with yeah oh i thought that, that was they don't, silent they, don't, too. they don't they don't have a passcode on their phone it's just sitting there open i'm just like what the fuck are you even doing like is that even a thing you can you do that I, my phone like what? forced me to make a password and I was like, I don't want to. And it's like, no, you're going to give me six numbers right now. <laughs> and you have to remember yeah. them for the rest yeah. of your life. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if, <clears throat> if, if that's the thing. Maybe, maybe it's not a, an iPhone. So maybe it's, it's that guy with the windows phone. or whatever. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, I definitely know someone that has like a, we were we were kind of joking about it, but she definitely has like a sidekick. So you know, I mean, that's that's definitely a thing. People hold on to the phones that they like. I don't even know how she gets service on that. Actually, I think it's I think it's relatively new. I think they still make that motherfucker. But uh, anyways, uh, the other thing that I found hilarious was that her parents are aware of when she's making deposits and when they're not because i'm i'm also of of a like situation where i have to set up my mom's online personal banking account because she can't do it like she just doesn't have that technology wise whereas my dad would definitely be that kind of person where he'd just be like yeah i saw some deposits in your in your checking account like well she's probably still using the same (laughs) she's like 21 right they're on her account i think the point of that is that they're it's a shared account. Yeah, like oh, you know, she okay. was like sixteen, and they're not, like, or, not even, not even like a joint account that's like tied. Cause no, that, like, that's how my mom and and my account is. Like, I can see her account, but I've hidden my account from her. <laughs> no, no, wow, upper hand. When you are, when <laughs> well, you are, I set it up. <laughs> my parents did this for me because I started working at like thirteen, and I was like, I need a bank account, and they're like, all right, well, we're gonna, we can give you one under hours and it's like it is like yes. a, a dependence savings account or whatever so like she's obviously probably still doing that and just doesn't realize that they're going to be looking at it now and then i don't know and i want to amend something i said quickly because i think she does i don't think emma seligman doesn't know what the character wants but i think she would say she wants to feel empowered yeah which is not which is a hard like action to take. And this maybe goes to what you're saying, Robin, about, you know, women being more in- internal. It's like, she's acting from a place of, of lack, right? It's like, she doesn't have power. She, she knows 
she may not know what she wants, but she knows what she doesn't want. And she knows that all these things in her life are, are not going the way that she wants. And it, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel good. It doesn't feel empowering. And so every messy move she's making is just a power move, you know, trying to give him a blowjob, the, the titty shot, like t- being rude to the, to Maya, you know, kissing mm-hmm. Maya. It's all just an attempt at grabbing power in a world where she feels completely disempowered. Yeah, mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. Get that. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, I just didn't want to sound like, you know, oh, she has no idea what this character wants. No, I, I'm, I think I'm it's a hard you. action to play. It's not like even Hannah Horvath like wanted to be a writer, right? <laughs> the greatest writer of her generation. <laughs> exactly. Voice the of voice the of her generation, or at least a generation. I watched like the first three episodes of Girls and then never watched any of them, but they're like burned oh, into so my good. brain. Oh, it's so good. You're really missing out. It, I it, don't believe that I am. It's great. <laughs> it is great. Moving like, on. It's almost like she was afraid to just give her like, but I sometimes feel that when it's like, oh, she's an artist or she's a painter when clearly the filmmaker is writing their own, mm-hmm. per, you know, their Stephen King person. Yeah, it's like <laughs> clearly she wants to be a filmmaker or something. But I was listening to writing. the King cast, um, which is a, a podcast where they bring on people to talk about Stephen King adaptations. And they made a joke once. They're like, so yeah, there's a bunch of characters, but one of them's a writer because like anything that Stephen King wrote that's over 40 pages, mm-hmm. he just had to make the person a writer because he doesn't know enough to write about any other profession. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's definitely a thing. I th- they they do mention, am I am I going crazy? They do mention her being an actress or something at some point, right? They mention a lot of things that she <laughs> apparently has dabbled in, and like that's that's she's a dilettante. Like, yeah, right. like she's, which she's again is very relatable for her generation and even millennials. Mm-hmm. I would argue. Like, yeah, like an indulged Jewish child at a liberal arts school. Like I say mm-hmm. that <laughs> I found it very relatable. Yeah, <laughs> say that as somebody from Long Island who exactly. was an English major with a women's studies secondary. Like, it's, I get it. And yet it annoys me. It's just, it's weird to me because, like, I don't know that I've ever known anyone who couldn't at least say, like, this is what I want to do, even if it was something dumb. Like, all of my philosophy major friends, you know, like, they at least were, like, super into philosophy. <laughs> Wait, are you saying that it's the one. Uh, discipline that journalist majors or journalism majors can make fun of as philosophy majors. Like there's yeah. at least one rung below you. Yeah, that's like it. That's all we've got, really. Is that okay. like you know? Oh, well, at Jesus. least I'm not a philosophy major because I can go out of school, sell out, and become PR and make money. But you will always be a philosophy major. And then they'll be like, no, there's something called like a. Oh crap! I can't even remember what it was. It was like so like a business ethics something, and it's like a person mm. whose job is to like work in a corporation and like do ethical analyses on HR. stuff and I'm like does it really seem like any businesses are listening to that person though like did you have to go to a four-year university for that or would they give you 40 bucks just to put out a press release every now and then saying we are committed to equality but when yeah, I was so- in graduate school I so I went to education graduate school and of course we're at like the bottom rung of all the you know um, professional schools at my university but it was like, at least we weren't the divinity school. Like, I had that going for me. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but yes, to answer your question, there is one major that journalists are allowed to make fun of, and it is philosophy students. 
<laughs> but again, like at least they were into philosophy. Like you know, there's there's just and it, this is like me personally, obviously, and and you know this is the reason why I personally didn't connect this film. I just need someone to like one thing, you know, or to do one thing, or to like even dream of doing one thing, even if they can't do it at all. I just need You're like such a an American. Bit. I just it's <laughs> maybe. How about how about this? It doesn't her, even have to be something that's going to make the money, though. Like it's not even a capitalistic. Her, like, well, what are you going to do for like the the machine of of the commerce? You know, just like paper airplanes. I made paper airplanes with my daughter today, so that's the first thing <laughs> I came up with. But like, if her, you were just her like passion, <laughs> her passion is fucking up. There you go. Mm. It's it's like what 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 is the right move here and what is the wrong move? Let me. You make know, it's attention move. seeking. Oh, it's definitely attention seeking, which is one thing I I wanted to mention, you know, uh, Jude mentions or mentioned about how she was kind of maybe there's like this eating disorder and that's part of why she's like putting food on her plate and then taking it Mm -hmm. off. But I saw her looking at other people and I saw her looking at other people as in I'm going to put food on my plate and then take it off. And do it again, and do it again, and no one's gonna call me out on this, and no mm. one's gonna notice me, and like, why isn't anyone noticing me mm. doing this? And like, I saw that as an attention-sinking thing, where it was like, okay, you like all of y'all are involved in my life in a very you know personal way, but like during this moment, like no one's gonna say anything to me, like why? And I I I think. You know, maybe I'm reading too much into that because, yeah, definitely, maybe there's there's more of a eating disorder kind of under undertone there than like an att- attention seeking thing. But I think a lot of that stuff ultimately ends up tied to each other. They're like, definitely tied together. Yeah, yeah. attention seeking is definitely like you know part of the, a lot of that stuff. So. But no, I, I thought I thought that was interesting that you're reading it as, you know, necessarily like, OK, it, it's furthering this idea that she's got this eating disorder. I'm like, she's just looking for attention. Like, but, you know, <laughs> eating, but it's seeking attention and eating disorders. And like, I'm not people do not get eating disorders to seek attention. Like, that is not where yeah, I'm no. coming from. But it's this idea that like she could be. <laughs> you know you seek attention for different reasons it's not always because you want the pr- you want praise you know it's just it's like being mm-hmm. out there it's uh some people are addicted right, to trauma or drama ways. because of their trauma because it's well, like well, the, that's a, that's a what kid. they're used to oh, that's a kid that's a puppy that's that's things like that where they're like pay attention to me i did this bad thing you know mm. and and it's like oh you know and and they know uh so my my stepmom uh she uh is a well she's a vet but she also does guide dog uh training on the side she's and, a what uh she does guide dog training no what was the first word you said she's a vet oh a vet like a veterinarian yeah. Okay. yeah yeah veterinarian and uh but she's she always talks about because we have a black lab that is a fucking nightmare <laughs> and uh still about seven or eight months old and so we're, we're trying to turn that corner on her but she mentioned one of the things that that kind of her teaching was was that 
instead of giving negative reinforcement, which is hitting the dog, uh, telling it bad, Oof. telling it doing doing all of these other things, like punishing them by putting them in a cage, or you know all of these things, what you should do instead is figure out what they're trying to do, right? And usually that's get your attention, get your praise, get your loving, and turn away from them. So if they're jumping on you, yeah, and don't reinforce crazy, it. Don't don't reinforce bad behavior by like kind of acknowledging the bad behavior. Just ignore it and then reinforce only with good behavior. That's and what they I, say I was, to do for tantrums with little kids. Okay. I don't know if that's true, Brian. Brian? Brian? <laughs> yeah, so I mean when Cora would throw tantrums, I would look at her and say, I'm not dealing with this, and then I'd walk away. So and then she doesn't really do it anymore. No oh, good. It works. See, I, I, I can't tell my dog that she doesn't understand English, so that sucks. Right. I would be but like turning this away. This isn't body you, language. This isn't how you get what you want. And then I would leave, and then she would come over and be like, "Can I please have an apple?" And I'd be like, "Oh, see, now that you're speaking English and not freaking out, mm. yes, I can understand what you want. And you can totally have an apple." Oh God! But now she's in the position of comforting you, <laughs> like after you yelled at her. I, didn't, I wouldn't even yell at her. I wouldn't be like, shut up, you maniac. I'd be like, no, we're not doing this. You know, this isn't how we talk to each other. And then <laughs> she'd come back and be like, can I have an apple? I'd be like, yeah, I have an apple. Can I have an apple, bitch? <laughs> That's what she should have said. <laughs> she'll even do that sometimes where she'll like apologize after like, you know, I have to do something like that. And I'd be like, you don't have to apologize. It's it's not like, you know, just don't don't do that. Like, it's fine. I'm not upset. I'm just trying to. It's difficult with children because you're just like, oh, how many levels of like psychic scarring are you going to have to unwind because <laughs> of what I'm doing to you now? <clears throat> Accurate. There's yeah, no, I, no, no matter what you do, it will yes. become fodder for therapists later. Yeah. She, she will hate you down the line. Don't worry. It's, but then she'll come back. <laughs> which is crazy because I don't hate my parents, which is nice. But, you know, I'll probably, Ugh, mazel tov. I, I'm, I'm sure you hated them at some point. God bless you. <laughs> wow. I've, I've always been good the, Catholic boy, never hates mother. Here's the thing. I have my father has been my hero for as long as I've known him, you know, in like a conscious way. So like what, three or four years old? My mother I've had my issues with, but I always know where she's coming from. So even if we disagree about something, I still understand her. And so I've never gone through that whole like, you don't understand me thing so like i've had my arguments with them it's not like we've had a picture perfect relationship but i've never been of the opinion like these people can go straight to hell mm, that's know? good and like i, I was know, a terrible child oh i, I used to tell my thing. parents to go fuck themselves i, I had like a eight. friend who would throw things at her parents oh that's nothing yeah well, <laughs> if you can do emotional damage that's much better <laughs> <laughs> yeah no my friend my friend emily was like yeah my mother and i for like my entire high school were like at each other's throats like you know my dad was threatening to like put us into me and my mother into therapy together and then i went to college and like in three weeks everything was great and everything was perfect yeah like not living with your parents is a definite antidepressant for some people oh yes this is making me wonder what my parents would think of this movie mm, what do you <laughs> think they would think um, you know, I wonder. I think my dad would like it more than my mom. He would he would find her spunky. Mm. But he did watch all of Emily in Paris. Oh, uh, okay. Oh boy. <laughs> I wanna I wanna get a drink with your dad. Is that okay? Can I say that? That sounds awesome. I mean it's a very watchable show. 
He's the only person I know who watched it, so I had to ask him about it. I um, I know <laughs> my parents would have hated this movie. <laughs> yeah, I think my mom probably would have, you know, said, "Paul, oh, Polly Draper's not Jewish. She's overdoing it. Oh, she's so unlikable." My mom's very like weirdly like not not very much a feminist in her movie tastes, but well, I, mean, I think it, she would mm, find Danielle not, you know, unlikable. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, I always, I think about that sometimes and I'm like, you know, there are people who just want to watch a movie to have fun. <laughs> and so I try not to, to be like, yeah, I try not to be super judgmental about that. Like, and I'm lucky because like I could watch, you know, Casey Affleck struggle with suicidal depression over accidentally killing his three kids and find that to be fun in a way just because it's like <laughs> cathartic and it's like, oh, that is a positive emotion. And right. other people just be like, well, that was a fucking downer. And it's like, well, yeah, that's true. Or Lars von Trier can make like serial killer movie funny. But, oh yeah, know, few people can do that. I can watch Melancholy well, I, and be like, ah, there we go, just right into the veins. I, I, I think I think part of this though goes back to you host a weekly film podcast, and so at the very least, we're watching what fifty six? Is it fifty six or fifty three? Fifty two, Bill. Only... <laughs> Look, come on, I, I got most of it right. Uh, fifty two <laughs> weeks a year, so you know you're watching at least fifty two films a year, new films, right? Well, I mean, we do well, classic it was, episodes it was here COVID. there. But... There was last year doesn't count. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but, you know, it's one of those things where if you ask the average person, like, how many new films they see a year, they'll probably go, well, I watched 15 uh, Netflix shows, and you go, okay, yeah, but, like, movies, and they go, I don't know, two? How many more? Yeah, so you're just like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, so, you know, I mean, it is what it is. When, when someone right. sits down to watch a movie, and it's one of the two that they're going to watch that year. Fuck. Yeah. They want to be like getting out of the theater being like, well, that was great. You know, I'm, I'm in a good mood now. Like I can only imagine if they fucking watched a movie that was super dark and kind of depressing or, you know, like even explored those themes. I'm sure they would be like, fuck, like no wonder I don't go watch movies anymore. Yeah. It's weird you know, to be just, friends with those people. I was like, well, my, my mother famously talking? once said that Yorgos Lanthimos should be shot for making the favorite. So I don't even know. <laughs> and that movie's Why? fucking hilarious. I love yeah. that movie. Why did she hate it? She, I don't know. She, that, I think she. The one about the family, I, I find the most painful. Oh, Dog yeah. Too? No, the, the killing of a sacred deer. Yeah, killing of a sacred oh. deer. Yeah. That was oh, Yorgos Lanthimos. I did not watch that. I've, I've had that issue because I like watched The Lobster and I was like, brilliant. I'm going to follow this guy forever. And then I saw Killing with Sacred Deer and I was like, I must have been high and I cannot. Yeah. <laughs> See, so, so it's funny because during our podcast on that film, I was of the opposite. I think I liked Killing of a Sacred Deer more and I liked The Lobster less. And so it, it was it was interesting because like I found different themes to kind of pull from it. And I think maybe part of that is also just the rhythms of getting used to a filmmaker because by the time he came out he came out with the favorite right yeah uh, so by the time the favorite came out i was like i'm fucking all in this is my favorite movie of the year so <laughs> you know it, it is it is what it is but did nobody you know, love I, dog tooth i love that movie i, I have not seen it. dog tooth oh yeah. it's good it's good i haven't <laughs> seen the lobster i just can't with colin farrell i'm like allergic to him what oh Mm-mm. don't care for him Jude, thoughts on Colin Farrell? I, I think he's good. Great eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> in Bruges. 
I was momentarily it's, excited for that movie about the horny kids in space because I saw Colin Farrell in the trailer on Twitter. I was like, wait, what am I doing? The horny kids in space? Yeah. You know what I'm talking the about. Right? Are talking about Total, Total Recall? The what the Voyager. Talking no, about? They're not oh. in space and they're not kids in Total Recall. Um, yeah, vo- 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 the Voyager? Voyagers? Look, yeah, Kate Voyager. Beckinsale will always be a kid. And oh, Wait, no. Maybe I'm saying that all wrong. I yeah, don't please don't finish anyway. that. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop going down that thread. <laughs> anyway, uh, do we have any... Are there any final thoughts on uh, the, the, the Shiva baby? Why did I say the... <laughs> I don't know. I need to see what the director, uh, Emma Seligman, does. Seligman, I... Like, I'm excited to see what she does going Congratulations, forward. Congratulations, you get a Marvel film, and you get a Marvel film. No, God, Lord, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, I think we mentioned before the podcast started, she had a couple of deals go through this this week. She's directing a coming-of-age uh, queer love story called, or maybe it's a comedy called Bottoms. Yeah. Um, and she's also just did a, an, she's developing an HBO comedy with Adam McKay, about the sugar baby lifestyle. So I think I like those sound great. Uh-oh. They sound like two, the two different threads of this film that I was very interested in kind of separating going into and maybe fashion. having time to actually dig into them in a meaningful way. Well, I mean, I think it was, I think this movie was meaningful, although I wish yeah. it had a better, I wish I, mm, I wish the ending was like a little stronger, but I, there's no resolution in real life. So I understand why I didn't go in that direction. But yeah, I was happy with this movie. I I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think great, great first film. Again, I think the filmmaking, we didn't touch on it that much, but the the directing itself, the shots, mm-hmm. the score, mm-hmm. the editing, like knowing how much of a small budget it was completely self, you know, the money was all raised by like these young women, all women producers, mostly team, everyone, DP, score. You know, I think it's a it's an accomplishment and yeah. it clearly, you know, it created a visceral reaction, you know, which I don't think you have to like enjoy every every film for it to be an interesting work of art. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree. All right. Well, that is Shiva Baby, and um that is our discussion on it. So uh let us know what you think. Email us podcast at filmstage.com. Of course, go to on Twitter at filmstage show. Um, that is it for us for today. Um, Rambar, what are we talking about next week? Next week, we are going to be talking about The Father with uh, Boston Globe film critic, I Burr. Awesome. Um, when do we talk about what the poll says we need to talk about? I'm not 100% certain. I think it should be ending in a day or two. So it's yes. still going on. I'm looking yes, at it now. Do you want to explain what that is? So, yeah. So anyone who didn't see it, uh, if you go on Twitter and find the Film Stage Show's Twitter at Film Stage Show, um, we're going to be doing a classic episode at some point. Uh, apparently no one is quite sure when. Um, <laughs> I'm sure Jordan will uh, spread some light on that. Um, but, yeah, we decided to leave it up to our listeners and Twitter followers and random strangers who stumble upon a poll and feel like voting. Uh, there's one day and 13 hours left as of this recording. Oh, it's, it's May 1st. That May first, the classic winner. All right, May Day. Um, we will do the winner, and the the nominees are uh, mm-hmm. Bill Graham chose Cape Fear. Rumbar chose. I didn't realize we were we were going to announce uh, <laughs> who who chose what, but uh, it's pretty you know. obvious, bro. <laughs> super, super goddamn obvious. Uh, Robin Barr chose My Girl, Woo! and uh, I chose The Tree of Life. Um, because you hate yourself. No, because I love. 
everything. Uh, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't have a funny way to end that sentence. Um, but yeah, so that's a, awesome. the vote is going on currently. We currently have 576 votes again, uh, one day and 13 hours left. So there's plenty of time for y'all to go and do that. And I would like to say, uh, Mark Willems, I hope you are <laughs> listening right now because you said, can I vote for Shiva baby? <laughs> and we're talking about it. You won. There we go. He's the winner. Mm-hmm. Really? The true winner. <laughs> Nobody wins if we have to do Tree of Life. No, I win. I win, and I will be so excited. And uh, you don't even need to talk. At least you like a movie. That would be the best, (laughs) wouldn't it be? (laughs) God, I hope I like The Father. I'm getting to the point where I'm like, if I hit 10 in a row that I don't like, I might just have to step down like Lou Gehrig style. Just be like, look, this has been a great time. If you hate The Father, I will cry. Spoiler alert. Okay, I, uh, that's that's good. high stakes for me. I don't want. I never want to make anyone cry. Um, so that sucks. Uh, I'll try to like it. I'll try to like it a lot. <laughs> try um, harder. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Uh, don't forget that we were brought to you by Mubi. M U B I dot com slash Filmstage for a free thirty day trial. Uh, they got a bunch of great stuff on there, and um, like I said, there you're bound to like one of those. Uh, unlike me, who can't seem to like anything recently. Um, MUBI.com slash film stage. Let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found uh, outside of this podcast. We begin with our guest, Jude Dry. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at JDry or just at IndieWire, my author page. Awesome. And Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG. You can also find me driving back to the dealership because they forgot to put the paperwork <laughs> in my car. And oh, Bill. I have a 45-minute drive, and I don't know when I'm going to make that during the week, so it'll probably be the weekend before I get that paperwork. So you're just going to be driving car. around in a hot car, basically? Yep. Pink <laughs> slip, baby. Cannot wow. prove ownership, but I swear to God it's mine. <laughs> check the internet (laughs) robin bar uh you can find me at robin bar on twitter r-o-b-y-n-b-a-h-r i sometimes write for the hollywood reporter so you can find some of my work there as for me uh you can find all of my stuff at brianjrowan.com and of course you can follow me on all the social media sites at brianjrowan yes i really do mean all of them if there's a social media site my nickname on there will just be brianjrowan uh, no, I'm not on TikTok as a creator, but maybe one day. Um, I've I've thought about it, but then I'm <laughs> as like, a lurker. Uh, <laughs> as a lurker, Jesus Christ. As a lurker, I'm basically a lurker. Yeah. Um, I I watch a lot of people doing art very quickly, like those speed videos <laughs> of like, hey, I'm Six gonna seconds. I'm gonna do like a photorealistic pencil sketch of the uh, Grand Canyon, and I'm just like, oh, this is great. And there's like a little song under it. Um, anyway, yeah, TikTok. It's great for shit like that. Uh, there's also a really good cooking show on there. Anyway, uh, I'm not on TikTok. Don't look for me on TikTok under Brian J. Rowan. Uh, but you can look for everywhere else. And, of course, you can find every episode of this podcast and my writing at thefilmstage.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much and tune in next time. Thank you.